Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's a podcast. Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. We're talking about monkeypox. We're talking about Democrats running away from Joe Biden. And today's the day where the public gets to talk to the county about what they think of the jail site. Although I'm wondering if that's more of a bamboozling session where the county tells people what to think and less of hearing what they think. Layla, do you think they're going to plant some people in the audience to make it look like they have some support? Who knows? Who knows how this is going to play out? (laughs) Yeah, I I think we (laughs) will need to time how much they get, how much time they actually give to the public. And then we're going to need to know who's talking because I suspect they're going to put some friendly people out there to make it look like it's not as lopsided. Yeah. Well, I wonder why that is. It's like (laughs) this has been a good faith effort from the beginning. All right. We'll be talking about tomorrow. Let's get started. Are Ohio Democrats distancing themselves from the standard bearer of their party, President Joe Biden? Has the National Democratic Party moved too far left for the more centrist Ohio Democrats like Tim Ryan and Marcy Kaptur? Lisa, we were going to talk about this before the student loan thing, which we'll be talking about later on the podcast. It does feel like they don't want to be tied to the president. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, Marcy Marcy Kaptur, the Democrat from Toledo, just ran some new ads that are criticizing President Biden for the uh, tariff ban on Asian solar panels for two years. So they suspended that. She said that undercut Ohio workers, and she's going to work with whoever's president to put Ohio workers first. She also fought NAFTA, parts of the NAFTA trade deal and outsourcing there. She wants to save the steel and auto industries here in Ohio. And of course, Tim Ryan has been wearing his heart on his sleeve the whole time, really. Uh, The Democrat from Youngstown has been running ads all summer. He's voted, said that he's voted against international free trade deals for years. He's also against that solar tariff ban. He's opposed to ending Title 42 pandemic restrictions, which uh, kept people, you know, from coming over the southern border. And uh, he is... Uh, I think he voted against the $20,000 student loan waivers. I I could be wrong there. He said he will attend the Intel ribbon cutting with President Biden, but he's missed other Ohio appearances due to scheduling conflicts. And also the gubernatorial candidate, uh, the Democrat Nan Whaley, she's also skipped President Biden's events. She also cited scheduling conflicts there. So, yeah, I think they're just trying to carve their own path right down the center. 
Well, look, let's face it. We talk about how Ohio has moved red because of the voting for Donald Trump, but we still elect Sherrod Brown. It's a centrist state. And what's happened in both political parties is the furthest reaches of the parties have taken a lot of control. And so if you're running in Ohio, you you really don't want to be tied to that because Ohioans don't want any part of it. And what what will happen, though, come Labor Day is a lot of money will be invested in trying to tie Ryan to Biden and the progressives and the same with Marcy Kaptur. He's had a head start, though. He has spent, as you mentioned before, Lisa, he has spent a lot of money on television identifying himself as not that guy. I'm not sure that a lot of money now kicked in to change that will be effective because he's so present in everybody's minds. Right, right. And Vance is only now ramping up his, you know, final campaign ad swing. And, you know, he got a ton of money from the the Republican Party. But the the executive director of the Ohio Republican Party, Justin Biss, says, oh, they're just pretending to be Republican. It shows how toxic the Democratic brand is and it's not going to work in the fall. And he pointed out rightly so. So is that both Captor and Ryan voted on the Biden agenda 100 percent, according to the 538 website. The, the problem the Republicans have is while Captor and Ryan work very hard to capture the middle, the Vances of the world are appealing to the furthest reaches of the right. And unless they can figure out a way to to say, look, I'm not the lunatic that I'm being portrayed as, that I do care about Ohio values, uh, abortion is going to play huge in this in this thing. Vance is dead set against abortion. And Lisa, you mentioned before the podcast, Ohio has a huge registration thing going on with women. Yeah, I, I just read this morning that uh, women are you know, signing up for voter registration, 11% more than men in Ohio. So a lot of women are charged up to go to the polls, probably because of the Dobbs decision. And we're seeing that play out in other states. So very interesting. It's not unusual, as Andrew Tobias's story points out, for people to not run with the standard bearer of their party, Republicans distance themselves from George Bush. And you've seen this a lot, but it's pretty emphatic in Ohio. Uh, Marcy Kaptur has a real race over there. She's got a major Trumpster running against her. So she's trying to show that she's the common sense Ohioan. Good stuff. It's Today in Ohio. How has a federal prosecutor impeded the ability of all of us Ohioans to find out just how much First Energy scammed us out of through the utility $60 billion bribery scheme to get more than a billion bucks from Ohio ratepayers. Laura, we talked about that they were trying to do this. Mm -hmm. Sadly, we must talk today that it was effective. Yeah, the PUCO is pausing its own investigations. They have four of them going on and they're saying they're going to hit pause for at least six months. And I guess what happened is a U.S attorney, assistant attorney, she's a lead prosecutor in this case, she objected to a former First Energy official being questioned during a PUCO deposition about millions in secret payments made by First Energy to companies controlled by Sam Randazzo, the former head of the PUCO. So they decided that they were going to back off because they don't want to get in the way of the federal prosecutors. The PUCO. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the reason. <laughs> well, 
I mean, here's the thing. The POCO, PUCO chair, Jennifer French, or she's obviously a Republican, she emphasized the commission will only do this temporarily. She says they're going to continue their investigation when it's appropriate to do so. But remember, she was appointed Sam Randazzo's successor by Mike DeWine, who also appointed Randazzo and has a lot of links to him. Look, the PUCO, and we've seen it. They've been the lapdog for First Energy throughout this whole ordeal. What's come out about the PUCO is scandalous. They have not represented the interest of Ohioans. So if the federal prosecutor gives them an excuse to not do their job and show Ohio just how bad a deal this was, you think they're going to fight that? Of course they're going to say yes. They don't want to do it because it's going to show they did such a terrible job on behalf of us all to begin with. I just think it's a shame that the the judicial branch of government is interfering with the executive branch of government here. That's not supposed to happen. They should have kept their noses out of it. Not surprised that the PUCO said, oh, want us to stop? Sure. We won't look into this. A federal prosecutor, and this is a state agency, so there's that too. But we've found out a ton of stuff through the PUCO investigation so far. I mean, they've done these audits. They're the ones who figured out that the millions of dollars that First Energy collected to modernize its electric grid was not spent to modernize that, and they can't tell where it went. So it might have been on HB6 lobbying. We could have been paying a modernization fee just to pay off legislators. Um, there was also a treasure trove of emails, text messages, other documents from current and first, first uh, former First Energy executives, and all of those things we talked about earlier on the podcast this week about you know Mike Dewine and John Houston and and just the the Mount Rushmore photos with Photoshop. So we've gotten all sorts of good dirt from these investigations. It's sad to see them go away. Right, Sorry, and pause. and this coming. Paused. Less than three months before Election Day is very helpful to the Republican cause because the circle keeps tightening around DeWine and Houston. Not a surprise, but sad to report. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Frank Jackson made a splash as mayor when he announced the new police headquarters would not be downtown, but on Opportunity Corridor. A lot of business types hated that idea because Opportunity Carter was supposed to open up fallow land for economic development, not government buildings. Jackson argued that this piece of land was really not going to be conducive to economic development. But again, the business types disagreed. So, Layla, is Jackson's successor, Justin Bibb, standing by the decision of Jackson? Not necessarily. Bibbs folks told Courtney Astolfi yesterday that they are revisiting that site as the choice for the police headquarters. Given inflation and the rising construction costs, they haven't ruled it out, but they're keeping their options open and they're considering alternative sites, including sites that would allow them to retrofit existing structures to meet their needs. Cost and location and time are the three most important factors. And of course, they're not saying which sites are under consideration, but they said that they'd like to make a decision about it by the end of the year. I mean, City Council has already signed off on the Opportunity Corridor site and they've approved issuing bonds to pay for it. But since then, we've seen a new council come into office, including, you know, Richard Starr, who's the new representative for the ward where Opportunity Corridor sits. Uh, City Council President Blaine Griffin supports the Opportunity Corridor plan, and he said that he thinks that it would jumpstart development on Opportunity Corridor, but he said he respects the right for a new dis- new administration and the new councilman to explore the options. There's also the fact that the city is already under contract with an architect firm 
to uh, so t- to whatever extent that contract would be affected by a change in plans, the cost of that would have to be factored into the decision on a, on a site change for the headquarters. But uh, but yeah, they were very much signaling yesterday that this is a decision that is not set in stone, and in fact could very well change by the end of this year. You know, I cannot help but spot the parallel to what's going on with the jail. Armin Budish and the county council are hell-bent on getting a site chosen before Budish leaves office, like it's locking us in. And we've been saying for months, it doesn't lock them in. The next guy can come in and say, yeah, I'm not doing that, even if it costs some money. This is proof. Justin Bibbs looking at that and saying, wait, 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 you know, that might not work. The idea of retrofitting has some some evidence behind it when they were going to buy the old plain dealer building that we right. left mm-hmm. in May, it was going to cost 60 million, but right. building new is, you know, double it's like that. over hundred. Right. Yeah. So I, I think this is really wise. And I know that the people who put together the plan for opportunity corridor are still angry that Jackson unilaterally decided to go out there. So this is a good this is good to hear that that Bib is looking at it. We suspected it because as you drive past, all you saw on that site these last nine months was trash. No construction really whatsoever. And you thought, well, if they're gonna build it, there should be some construction or they should at least take away the garbage that's been dumped there. Um, yeah, so good I remember st- back at the end of the year, we were we were wondering why why Frank Jackson had held that ceremonial, uh, <laughs> the, the the groundbreaking ceremony. I mean, we I, I do think you can look back on that now and say that was probably to try to the best he can signal to Justin Bibb like, that that was supposed to be like I mean that that there was the formality of that was supposed to uh, really solidify that decision. But he does. He, Bib doesn't care. <laughs> it's an interesting story to talk about on the day that they're having the public hearing for the jail. It's almost like the toothless lion. Like you're lame duck. Recognize you're a lame duck. Frank Jackson yep. didn't recognize it, so he held that goofy groundbreaking, even though he was leaving in a few weeks. And and we have the same thing with Armin Budish. He's Armin Budish is a lame duck. Recognize it. Look in the mirror. You don't have the ability to affect policy beyond January first. Your successor can change it. So why saddle the taxpayers with an expensive decision? Do you think we'll, Very you think we'll see a we'll see a, a groundbreaking at the toxic jail site? <laughs> well, only if people are wearing gas masks because you yeah, can't have gonna, that vapor. Get, get some gas masks and some shovels and go out there. Make it be yeah, a great I mean, picture. <laughs> you know, if you breathe that vapor, you're breathing cancer-causing chemicals. As I'm sh- and somebody tonight is going to say, "No, no, no, it's okay. You know, it's we're fine." fine. You're listening to Today in Ohio. How prevalent is monkeypox in Cuyahoga County and are health officials taking any steps to impede it because it's getting worse? Lisa, the health department of Cuyahoga County finally held a press event to talk about what's happening. It's not great. Yeah, and the numbers are comparatively low, but but jumping quite fast. So Ohio had 139 cases of monkeypox as of earlier this week. There are 61 cases in Cuyahoga County, but 41 of those are in the city of Cleveland. That's 61% of all the, you know, the Cuyahoga County cases. 
Uh, most of the patients seem to be black. They're aged 19 to 50 years in age, and then they tend to be HIV positive. The first confirmed Ohio case was June 14th, but the first 11 Cleveland cases were reported August 8th. So we've seen about a five-fold jump since then. Um, they have they yesterday they administered 75 monkeypox doses. The uh, county health department uh, or the Cleveland. Public Health Department, and its director, Dr. David Margolia, says they plan to give the vaccination to community groups, hospitals, social services facilities, and entertainment venues, but they still have a shortage. There's more coming, but they, you know, but it's just not here yet. They recently distributed 200 doses at a popular gay bar in Cleveland, also at the Cleveland Health Department and the County Board of Health headquarters in Parma. And as more vaccine arrives, more clinics will be set up. There is actually a clinic coming this Friday from 3 to 9 p.m. at 1313 East 26th Street. No appointment or registration is needed, but you have to be 18 and over and have, you know, some sort of exposure risk or not previously diagnosed or asymptomatic. So the only problem is, is that there's still usually one vial equals one dose. They're getting five doses out of one vial because they're doing it just under the skin instead of further down in order to stretch the supply until more comes. What Do we feel like this is a, a proper response? Do we feel like that the health agencies are taking this seriously to try and stop it? Or is is this slow? I, I, I compared back to COVID and COVID was spread in a much more a sinister way in the air. I mean, you could get it very, very easily. And we saw how quickly that variant spread and there was a crisis response to it. Does this feel like a crisis response? It doesn't, but I think, and they're trying to say that they're taking a thoughtful approach. That seems to be the term that, that health officials are using, a thoughtful approach to monkeypox distribution while promoting equity. And as we've seen, almost all of these cases have been with men who have sex with other men. So they're focusing on that population. But again, as I've said before, diseases don't discriminate, discriminate. So it's a matter of time till it jumps to other populations. Yeah. I, you would just think there would be a pretty strong effort. It, it's not widespread right now. So you no. still have the ability to contain it in a good bit. And you would need a public relations campaign in addition to vaccines to do that because, you know, it, you can pick it up off of surfaces and sheets and clothing uh, I don't know. It, it just feels like this is not the high temperature kind of response that you'd want. And what are they going to wait for it to get into schools where lots of kids right. are getting it and then become more serious? I get that there's not enough vaccine, but it doesn't feel like the communication of the risk is out there. Um, but but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Maybe they're being very effective in those populations. I know Metro Health also has a vaccination clinic, I think, today or tomorrow. So people should look at the Metro Health site for information. It's today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. 
Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. What do Ohio Republicans think of President Joe Biden's announcement Wednesday that he will cancel up to $20,000 of student loan debt? Laura, it's not surprising what the Republican response is, but let's talk about it. Right. They obviously dislike this. They say this benefits rich people and that it's unconstitutional, which isn't. (laughs) I mean, I feel like they have an argument here because they're saying these are the people that were able to go to college. So it's it is benefiting the higher echelon of higher education. But you think that really rich people wouldn't need loans to go to college. So, I mean, the basics is that Biden's going to cancel up to $20,000 of loan debt um, only held by the Department of Education. So only federal loans. You have to make less than $125,000 a year or $250,000 for a married couple. And to get that $20,000, you have to have a Pell Grant. Everyone else is about $10,000. But our, our good friend Jim Jordan <laughs> was one of the first tweets that Sabrina Eaton quoted in her story. She said it's going to benefit wealthy elites. Once again, Joe Biden forgets about real America. And Tim Ryan, obviously a Democratic uh, candidate for Senate, actually kind of agreed with him, which I don't know how many times we can say Tim Ryan and Jim Jordan agree on something. (laughs) But he says that this would have been much better to work to level the playing field for all Americans with medical debt cancellation, forgiveness for essential workers, and more opportunities to refinance student loans, plus investing in apprenticeships, community college and workforce development, which I mean, Ryan has a point here, and I think I was talking to Chris about it yesterday in the office. There are more things that Biden wants to do to make it free to attend community college and do some other things, but we're treating the symptom here of this incredibly high debt load to go to college rather than treating the disease, which is the incredibly difficult, you know, expensive cost of college. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, let's point out first that to say this benefits elites, basically Jim Jordan is saying anybody who went to college (laughs) is an elite and that's stupid. And let's remember he worked for a college. He was the wrestling coach looking the other way when somebody was molesting dozens and dozens of students. So to, 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 to now say college is elitism is ridiculous. But yeah, like you said, it's, it's a symptom. We have had in this country a compact with young people since the beginning of time to provide an education at a reasonable amount of money. And 15, 20 years ago, to, to cut budgets and give people tax cuts, we stopped doing that. We, and college, in, in just in the last 15, 20 years, has become prohibitively expensive. So there's a generation now that graduates with the equivalent of a mortgage. None of us did that. None of us started our adult life saddled with that kind of a debt load. And I understand why that generation is looking at us older people and saying, the hell with you. You, you got all this great education for, for almost nothing. And we didn't. And we need some relief. And they're not wrong. It's just this is such a divisive um, move. They're, all the people that did have college loans and paid them off, you hear a lot of them saying, well, this isn't fair. I paid my college loans. Why should they get some help, even though there's a legitimate reason? We do need to get college costs under control. I mean, they're bloated. They, clearly, universities are bloated. I mean, t- how many times has Ted died and brought up, they're building rock walls, rock climbing walls. Uh, so well, you need to cut 
cut their costs, but then you need to provide them with the resources so that it doesn't cost you the, the, the equivalent of a gigantic McMansion to go. Right. Well, then, I mean, the whole thing, and I, I completely, I'm going to say it twice. I agree with Ted Dieted on this, right? <laughs> that they have, there's this arms race that colleges have done. You know, once somebody put in the amazing rec center, the, the next college did because they wanted to compete for the same students. And once they upgraded the dorms to be these like beautiful suites, then the next college did it because no one wants to live in a hovel with, you know, cinder block walls anymore. So we also need to maybe adjust our uh, expectations of what college is going to look like. And I, I think it needs to happen because at some point it will be only the elite that can go to college because it's going to be backbreaking for every other family. And I really hope they figure it out in the next seven years before I have to send my kids go. <laughs> but I would also like to say, though, that, you know, the fact that, you know, we're telling our kids that they need a college education to well, thrive is a, is a fallacy. I mean, I there are plenty agree. of, you know, trades, like master electricians that make a whole lot of money and don't have the debt or the, you know, the length of time in school. So absolutely, Lisa, you're 100 percent right. As, as Leland, I know we talk about on this podcast podcast. You can't find enough tradesmen. And I think if you, sorry, <laughs> trades people, and if you had great education in the trades, plus some business acumen, some training in accounting and marketing, maybe like you would, you'd be set for life. I mean, you'd own your own business, set your own hours and, mm -hmm. and have more work than you could ever handle. I, I think that is a great thing that we should be put, you know, pushing more. Okay, and we can't have this conversation, or, or we'll hear it from our conservative listeners, without mentioning that clearly this was an effort by Biden to bring out the young person vote in November, two months, three months before the election. Providing this to a bunch of younger people is likely to, do you, to have that effect. Do you think that will have the opposite effect too, though? Like all the angry older people? <laughs> they they vote too? anyway. Angry people vote. <laughs> they, like, they're always at the polls. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is NOPEC kicking more than a half million electric customers out the door, forcing them to become direct customers of the power companies again? Leila, I've been getting a lot of emails from people that are mad at NOPEC because they say their rates have gone up or they're mad at the power companies. We're trying to sort it out. We're trying to look at the rates to figure out what's going on. But actually, NOPEC is doing this to help people, right? Yeah, this is apparently an unprecedented move by NOPAC, the Northeast Ohio Public Energy Council. They're, they're a nonprofit energy aggregator, and, and they're the default electricity supplier for much of Northeast Ohio. Until now, customers have had to call to opt out of NOPAC's default price because normally they offer among the lowest rates, but now they're temporarily moving nearly all of more than 500,000 customers to their utilities default choice without customers having to make the call themselves because NOPEC's standard program price is now much higher than the default pricing available through the Illuminating Company, um, Illuminating Company, Ohio Edison, and others. And NOPEC's standard price is currently at 12 cents per kilowatt hour. Ohio Edison's is 6.7 cents, while the Illuminating Company's is 6.8 cents per kilowatt hour. And it might be a couple of billing cycles before customers see any change. The plan right now is for customers to be opted in again in spring of 2023 when the energy prices are expected to drop. Uh, for natural gas, the opposite of all this is true. NOPEC's default price is currently lower than Columbia Gas and Dominion Energy's default rates, so natural gas customers won't be affected by this. But they're, you know, basically NOPEC is saying that they're trying to do the right thing by their customers. They've they've never had to do this before, so they're they're. <laughs> moving them all to 
uh, off of their their plan without without having to force the customers to opt out themselves. Something is broken down with NOPEC and the utilities and their communication, though, because I, I'm hearing from frustrated people that just can't understand the the erratic changes in their bills. And so I hope NOPEC fully communicates what they're doing here because it's upsetting, especially people, retired people and people on fixed incomes when they see inexplicable changes on their bills. I'm glad we did the story to tell people, but there are a lot of people that don't read our platforms or listen to this podcast. They should. Uh, Mm -hmm. And hopefully that NOPEC will get to them. It's today in Ohio. We don't talk a lot about sports, but this is worth noting. With six weeks to go in the baseball season, Lisa, are the Guardians looking good to win their division? No one expected this. Yeah, they're looking good, and they've been looking good pretty much all summer after kind of a rocky start. But the Guardians are currently leading the AL Central Division by four games because they won 7-0 against the Padres last night. Um, They're four games ahead of the Minnesota Twins in the division. They're... Record isn't great. They're only about 10 games over 500. I mean, in other, you know, divisions, they're they're much higher, you know, uh, game wins. But the bullpen is really what's going on. That's what we've been saying in the Plain Dealer. Uh, the bullpen has a combined earned run average of 2.11. They have a 6-1 and one record for August with 78 strikeouts. Emmanuel Classe has been doing so well. He leads the American League with 29 saves. His ERA is 1.20. So yeah, our bullpen has really been doing well. And I have to give a shout out to Tristan McKenzie, one of our young starting pitchers, the tall, skinny kid. He's having an excellent year. He's 9-9 nine nine with an ERA of So it's all about the pitchers. Well, the other thing is getting to the playoffs is the key. We've seen wild card teams win the World Series. The team that gets hot in October wins the World Series. And so even though they have the lowest winning percentage of the six division leaders, getting into the show, man, that's that's what you want. You want to be there and then you count on your pitchers to carry you through. But I, you, you wonder, is this starting to build? Do, do people recognize that we could be in for a great roller coaster of an October? Laura, you went to a game a couple of days ago. What did you see at the park? I did. I saw Tristan McKenzie have like 16 strikeouts. So it was kind of a boring game for a while. <laughs> no, happened. that's an exciting game. What are you okay. talking about? Okay. If your kid is a pitcher, maybe it's an exciting game. Um, and then we got really hot in the bottom of the seventh and beat the White Sox. I think it was five to two. But, you know, I was, we were sitting practically on the roof because I was like, what are the cheapest seats? Right. But it was super fun and it was super full. And, most of the people were sitting, were, were wearing Indians gear. I didn't see a lot of Guardians gear, but I also didn't see any Wahoo signs or anybody, you know, trying to yeah, not use the Guardians name. So that was uplifting. And it just, it was a beautiful night to be at the ballpark. People were in a really good mood. And I, like, I hadn't seen a Guardians game all season because we don't have cable. We have YouTube TV. And so my kids, they watch the Mets because my husband's a Mets fan. But we haven't been able to watch a, a Guardians game. Let me ask you all this, right. though, Laura. Did ketchup lose the hot dog race? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this was the most – this was the biggest cheering I had heard until the bottom of the seventh was for the hot dog race. And it looked like mustard won. And then they did a replay, a photo video replay. And it turns out ketchup had just inched him out. And, okay. my, yeah. 
All right, this is sad. We should point <laughs> out that that the baseball team is winning like this in its first year as the Guardians. And wouldn't it be cool if they won the World Series in their first year as the Guardians and finally got rid of the curse of Wahoo? I mean, what if, what if Wahoo was really the reason we never won because we had this racist symbol as our team mascot? I Good stuff. We'll be following it through October. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We're going to go long because we got to do one more. Laura mentioned it yesterday, but we did not explore it. What does the Farmer's Almanac predict for Cleveland's winter? And does anybody really res- rely on the Farmer's Almanac for this information? Yes. I don't, I don't know. Ask <laughs> me on November 8th through the 11th because we're supposed to get light snow on those specific dates, according to the Farmer's Almanac. I don't know how they can know that. They are saying they're gonna, we're going to have an unreasonably cold and snowy winter around the Great Lakes. Uh, it sounds pretty typical, but uh, they say sometimes it will be very cold. Sometimes it will be mild. That's like a astrological prediction that doesn't feel like it could be wrong at all. Um, they say they're 75% to 80% accurate. Last year, they said cold and dry. And then we had what, like 30 some days of straight days with snow on the ground, which was amazing and lovely. So I hope we have a snowy season. It was lovely unless you had a dog that had had surgery that had to wear a cone when they went outside. Not lovely for that. It was so much brighter out than <laughs> the gray it's Cleveland. The it's always unreasonably cold. That's <laughs> such a, like, does that anyone a get through the winter? Should it have said unseasonably? I know. Nobody <laughs> ever gets through the winter and is like, well, oh, that was reasonably cold. <laughs> Lisa, you know, you think there's another almanac we should be paying attention to. Well, there is. And I'm an almanac snob. I've been reading oh. the old... Old Farmer's Almanac since for 40 years. I buy one every year. I'm just about to buy the one for next year. But the Old Farmer's Almanac is older than the Farmer's Almanac. This one was founded in 1792, and they've been making predictions that long. And so I kind of looked at their, you know, they're saying that actually it'll be colder than normal, but precipitation will be lower than normal. They claim a slightly lower success rate, but they talk about every year in the next Almanac, they say how accurate they were the year before. So, yes, I believe in the old farmer's almanac. Do they have any predictions on the hot dog race? (laughs) (laughs) Mustard for Uh, the win. I'm still an onion fan. I mean, she's got that purse. She needs to use it. (laughs) All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have gone long. Thank you for hanging with us. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you for listening. We'll be back Friday wrapping up the week. 